Good morning, church. So the Bible reading today is from Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 to 23, um, and it will be on the screen behind me. So Colossians 2, starting at verse 16. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are all, they are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with, with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Um, So we're back in Colossians 2 and I want to tell you about Jack as we begin. Jack has been working as an engineer this large company for around about six years. Workplace prospects look good. There's a chance to go up the corporate ladder here. And he's even managed to occasionally, in the last six years, talk about his faith. And he's felt timid, he's felt afraid at times, but, and he's found it very hard to navigate the workplace politics. But Jack reckons a good chunk of those on his team know he believes in God, may even know he's a Christian. Well, Jack comes out the elevator uh, earlier in the week uh, after lunch and he has an afternoon meeting that's going to go all for the rest of the day. And his head's now getting in as the elevator goes up, so his brain's getting into the mindset of what this meeting's about, planning and everything. And as he gets out the elevator, Jill, uh, who works on another team, spots him. She's Jack, she says. I was watching some reels last night and one of them had a dig at the Christian belief in God. I reckon you once said you believe in God but you don't seem to act like anything they implied. Can I ask, Jack, what exactly is a Christian? What is a Christian? If you were Jack, what would you say to that question? Well, if you were in Colossae, around AD 60, you would hear two very different answers to Jewish questions. One answer would be, ah, a Christian believes in Jesus, which unlocks for them a spiritual realm in which you can worship with angels, you can know mystical thoughts of God, and through certain Jewish festivals, show that you really are one of God's chosen people and have a special revelation and feeling from God. That's what a Christian is. The other response is what Paul and Timothy have been outlining in their letter to Colossians, to the Colossians. And they began by painting this big picture of the supreme Jesus for us in the opening few chapters the supreme sufficient Son of God who forgives, makes alive and triumphs over Satan, sin and death. A Christian is someone who trusts in Christ, 
who loves Jesus a bit because of his kindness and mercy to them who lives in Christ with Jesus as their Lord, living in his triumph. And in our verses today, Paul now points out, and Timothy point out the habits being put to the Colossians are never ever going to lead them close to Jesus. They are being told to focus on shadows, he says, not the reality. They are being taught to do things that actually sever the connection with the head of the body. Now, of course, Paul is very aware that habits are important. Habits make healthy Christians. So long as the habits we have lead to an intimate relationship of love and joy and awe in Jesus. So in light of these verses, let's do a spiritual health checkup today. We'll start by reminding ourselves in the first few verses um, that Jesus is the reality that all our habits must point to and invoke an intimacy with. And then, from verse 20 and 23, we'll remind ourselves and explain why regulations impose a false reality and how the very thing legalistic behaviour or anti-law behaviour try to do fail, always fail, because the substance of our faith is a relationship with God, not our experiences. So let me ask you and me, are my spiritual habits pointing me to Jesus? Have I made a shadow, the substance of Christianity, distracted by unspiritual things that make Jesus seem small? And then we'll end by going back to Jack's story with Jill, because often what we imagine Christianity to, to what we imagine the Christian life to look like, often comes out when we describe what a Christian is. And so that can be really helpful as we talk to others about Jesus too. So let's read uh, 16 and 17 as we begin. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, new moon celebration or Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Back in the first 15 verses, Paul reminds us that Jesus is the one who triumphed over Satan, sin and death. Therefore, live in him. The food, the drink, the religious festivals... They all come from the law of Moses. Now to be judged by them, it says, would imply that your faith is bound up in them. In terms of, well, if you have done this, we'll judge you by your behaviour, therefore you are now a Christian or you are not. So that's the point. But in verse 17, that idea is put to bed. Because Jesus is the reality and substance of Christianity. A more literal translation of the word reality would be body. The shadows from the law are being cast from the reality of the body, that's Jesus. They're shadows Jesus projects on the ground. He is the body, they are the shadow. And it would be foolish to make them into the reality of the faith when they're only meant to get us looking at the substance. You see, towering above, not just the law of God and all creation which we saw in chapter 1, even today, in the New Testament and onwards, is Jesus. He is the substance that all the laws and the celebrations and feasts of the Old Testament pointed to. He's the one we look back on today and celebrate and give our worth and worship to. He is the location of our connectedness to God. He is the substance. He is the body of the faith. 
So, in verse 18, don't let anyone who delights in false humility and worship of angels disqualify you. They're actually puffed up and unspiritual. Now, angels played an important mediatory role in the Old Testament, particularly in giving the law. If you read through the Old Testament, you notice references to the angel of the Lord uh, a number of times, or angels in general appear, and they give revelation to God's people. And the temptation facing the Colossians is to join angels in worship through visions as a mark and sign of being spiritual. Imagine going to church and instead of saying, how was your week, how many angels have you worshipped with this week? Oh, none. Oh, you mustn't be a Christian then. The Colossian church. But, you see, we're not saved by Jesus to delight in angels. We're not saved by Jesus to even access a visionary realm. That is not why Jesus came. And what's so tricky of this influence is that it's spoken of as a delight. Did you see that? Do not anyone who delights. Almost as if not to have those experiences would mean you miss out on a joyful part of Christianity. In fact, some are insisting that if you don't have them, you are disqualified from the faith. There are, of course, moments when God does delight to give us a bigger reality of himself, creates in us a bigger picture of his glory and majesty. And Paul writes in 1 Corinthians of his own visionary experiences. However, he's very quick to insist that's never necessary to be saved or secure. And anything like that is all about the Supreme Son, not angels or the vision itself. In fact, Paul can say with a twist of irony, to focus on angels and getting closer through experiences like a vision is actually the opposite of being spiritual. Why? Because if all the wisdom of God lives in Jesus, back in 2 verse 9, wisdom is God giving insight into the mystery of his will, which is actually Christ, the substance. A concrete vision of Jesus, revealed through his word, is what God gives us. Wisdom is a disposition to confess Jesus as wise, cling to him, live for him and live in him in light of his word through thick and thin. We sung about that, didn't we, with a few of the songs. That's wisdom. Because if you dress up the shadows, so to speak, you actually cut yourself off from the head. Verse 19, they have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supporting and held together by ligament, shows and sinews as God causes it to grow. The language of body and of head is a metaphor stressing the unity of the church with Christ, with Jesus, and the unity of each Christian with one another. This is not only image of church in the Bible, a body, but it's a good one, and particularly in the Colossian context, it's a perfect image to stave off anyone who would seek to influence them away from the head, which is Jesus. No, Paul says, you can't be a body without a head. doesn't work like that. What's energizing and life-giving for the body is a relationship with Jesus, the head. You need that. God makes the body healthy, remain connected to him. That is how you will grow and flourish. And therefore, your habit should shape you towards that way. Your habit should fuel your joy in the body. Like Natasha spoke of in the old ages of the balloon and Play-Doh. And the body is gifted in different ways to that end, but its, its whole point is glorifying the head and working as one. You know, over, over in 
time, but 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. There's a detailed explanation of of, uh, spiritual gifts. You may have read them before. Two observations about that, and I want to push into those for a moment here to be helpful. Firstly, the Corinthian and Colossian context is different. The Colossians are being influenced away from Jesus by visions and angels. The Corinthians were overindulging in the good gifts. It's a little oversimplification, but the Colossian issue was they attempted to lose connection with Jesus and thereby can't possibly grow into a healthy church through those practices. Secondly, in 1 Corinthians 12, the first three verses, the most important thing you need to know about spiritual gifts is right here. Listen to this. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagan, somehow or another you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Before Paul talks in Corinthians about gifts, he defines what being spiritual is, the spiritual part. Because there's a lot of confusion in the Corinthian church coming from their old way of life. And so what he does is he uses this analogy, and I'll explain it. It's a baseball diamond. First base of being spiritual, and if you don't like diagrams, ignore it. Okay? Just, if you're a visual person, it might help. If not, close your eyes. Spiritual first base, confess Jesus as Lord. Not a gift. Those who have lost connection with their head, don't say that. In fact, saying and recognizing Jesus is Lord is itself the greatest gift. Did you know that? And that shows the Holy Spirit's in you. Do you want to know if you've got the Spirit of God? Jesus is Lord. Can you say that? I hope so. Second base of being spiritual. Isn't an experience you do or don't have? It's actually being united together as the body. In Christ, celebrating our common bond in Jesus, building one another from whatever way you see fit to make that happen, all for the glory of God. He hasn't even got to a gift yet. And third base is then knowing how Jesus equips the body and what that looks like so you don't dress shadows up or make gifts into a mark of spirituality like Paul warns the Colossians about. But that's not the end. you know what the home run is? Love. Let me tell you, he says in 1 Corinthians 13, a better way, the best way. Love. Love of God, love of one another. Don't be distracted, don't be disqualified or detach all your dis- dis- discipline, habits from Jesus. Remain connected to him and God will cause the growth. Colossians 2.19, God causes the body to grow. Be encouraged that if you are in Christ or in Jesus, you have all you need for progress, health and growth. Remain obsessed with him, completely smitten with Jesus. He is the reality. And don't insist on other regulations because they're a false reality. In the Colossian context, it wasn't just a new experience, but it was making traditions of the past necessary as well. Did you know in London, the MPs have a cloakroom to put their coats and hats? But on every hook is a piece of ribbon. Do you know what the ribbon's for? Hanging swords. Now, swords have been banned since the 1300s, but the ribbon still remains. And in the last part of the verses in Colossians, Paul goes to those ribbons in the cloakroom and and tears them down and says, actually, you've got it wrong. We don't need the ribbons on the hooks anymore. 
Let's have a look at what he says. Since you died to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why? As though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules, don't handle, taste or touch? Now, even if those commands have their origins in the Bible, his emphasis is through our death in Jesus, you've died to the rule of those laws. They point you to Jesus now, reminding us of a new way of life where God's love and acceptance does not depend upon our spiritual or moral performance, but Jesus' perfection and performance in you and work for you. Because the very things that legalism or an experience promises always fail to deliver. Look at what he says. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish based on human commands, such regulations have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship false humility, harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. You know, the, the, um, the rise of AI art and deep fakes recently have made looks even more deceiving, haven't they? And if you've ever looked at some of those photos, you'll know there's a twisted sort of reality to some of them. And you may not pick it at first and suddenly when someone points it out, you go, ugh, the hand or the eye or the skin is just so weird and creepy. And so too, these regulations appear to be real and valuable and helpful and wise, but they're masquerading as deep fakes, twisting the gospel of grace in how they come across, making it into a DIY of relating to God through self-imposed religion, false humility and humility and harsh treatments of the body. It's a way of life, void of Jesus, void of his grace, void of his spirit to actually change us. But from our union with Jesus in his death, being made, made alive in him, we still act as a Christian. We still use our will power at times as a Christian and our minds to think. But Jesus moves our heart by grace when that happens. And that'll be Paul's point next week in chapter 3. Because we've changed, we've been changed by grace, we now live out that change day by day. Think of it like this. Imagine a baby bird's in a nest. There's a fox on the ground. And the bird falls out, and the fox sees it fall and runs over to it. And the baby bird, ah, notices a small hole in the ground under the tree, and it runs to there, and it buries in the hole and is protected. Now, if that bird only ever lived by scampering around, it will never learn that it's been designed to fly and pretty soon the fox will catch up to it and eat it. And we need to resolve habits, to form habits of obedience to God and sometimes we will need to use our willpower to decide, tomorrow I will read my Bible, for example. I will think differently about these things. I will be intentional. But in the long run, the ultimate way to shape our lives and escape the effects of sin and others influencing us away from Jesus, as was happening in the Colossian context, is by our hearts being moved by the gospel of grace. Timothy Keller um, tells this wonderful metaphor of how the gospel changes us. Imagine you've got a big piece of steel and you want to bend it to it in half. And you apply all the effort and pressure you possibly could and it just doesn't quite work, does it? You might get a little way, but it's stuck. He says, if you heat that up a little bit, suddenly it just melts and bends to whatever shape you want and the gospel comes and starts melting us by the gospel of grace, not bending us and forcing us, but through the grace and kindness of Jesus, he changes us. 
And in the Colossian context, you see, people were not moving hearts and minds with the gospel, but trying with angels, spiritual experiences, false wisdom and severe bodily discipline. To which Paul says to all that, the reality is Jesus. Don't shift away from that. Before we get to chapter 3, I wonder today, is your definition of Christianity, is your definition of what it means to be spiritual and those habits, about simply enjoying the love of Jesus, abiding in Him, and forming habits to fuel that fire more and more? Are all your habits bringing you to a deeper love and appreciation of the grace of God to you through Christ? I pray that your habits are and that they will. And Jack, he's in the elevator talking to Jill from the start. He gulped hearing Jill's question, flustered by the upcoming meeting. Oh, always at these times, he thought to himself. He gathered his thoughts quickly and smiled and said, Jill, that's a really great question. I'm really glad you asked. A Christian is someone who joyfully sits and soaks up Jesus, who he is, the love he has for you. A Christian is someone who is in awe at the kindness and mercy of God and forgiving them by judging Jesus on the cross for our rebellion and evil so that we can be reconciled to God and have a new life. And Jill, I don't know what you saw, but Christianity is not about rules or religion or mystical experiences. It's about faith in Jesus and enjoying Him. I have to go to me. Talk later. I wonder what your spiritual habits look like if maybe you're dancing with the Colossian context. Let me pray for us. And if you would like to reflect on your habits, uh, there's a, a spiritual habit checklist. No, it's not a checklist. That's wrong. It's an encouragement. The questions. See how it's tricky to fall in that trap? I did it just then. To encourage you to think, what am I doing to lead me to love and be in awe of Jesus more? And if maybe you've got it muddled around by God's grace, he'll get you out of that. There's a sheet at the front there is a scanning QR code at the bottom of the sermon outline. There's an extra bit. And they're not checklists to tick off. It's a heart that says, I love Jesus a bit and I really would love to get to know him more. Maybe this will help. Let me pray. Thank you, Jesus, that you've done what we can't do to make you just like you are, restored to the image of God uh, through your grace and kindness to us. Help us to be in awe and love of you, to realize that as we plod along in life and face all the ups and downs, uh, a deeper love for you a joy found in you that survives everything else is what the Christian faith is about. And so God, give us that joy. We pray for that. We pray we'll be concrete, concretely assured that when we know you, we have all we need. So Spirit, remind us that we can truly love, seek, serve and honour you for your glory and our good. Amen.